In your engineering career, do you want to be a manager or a leader? And what's the difference? We're about to find out. When you get into leadership, you have a vision. You're able to say, well, this is how I think things should be. But that's useless unless you can bring people with you. Hello there. My name is Dusty Rhodes and you're welcome to Amplified, the Engineer's Journal podcast. Most successful engineers agree that continuous learning is paramount to a successful and progressive career in engineering. But when innovation and technology is moving at such a rapid pace today, it can feel overwhelming to keep up. So today we're going to find out what further education options are available to engineers and what skills you can develop to help move yourself forward and upwards in your career. Our guest today is incredibly passionate about professional development and learning. She is former Dean of Graduate and Professional Studies and the current Director of UL at Work and University of Limerick. Anne Ledwith, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. So listen, tell me, uh, Anne, you're a big advocate for careers in engineering. How did you get into this business? How did you know it was the right path for you? Um, I suppose it was a bit serendipitous. When I was at school in in Limerick, in the Salations in Limerick, we didn't have physics and I decided I wanted to do physics. So about four of us had to go to the local Christian Brothers School that was just across the road to do physics. And up to probably the end of fifth year, I was going to be a dentist. I'd probably be a lot richer if I was a dentist, but who knows, I wouldn't be happier. But all the boys who were good at physics were all going to do engineering. So I said, and I was good at physics, I was good at at, at maths and those types of subjects. And I said, well, if they're going to be engineers, then I should be an engineer too. So I, to be honest, it wasn't a career that had ever entered my mind until I heard my classmates talking about it, the classmates in my physics class talking about it. Now, it helped that we had a passionate female physics teacher as well that you know was very, very supportive. But that's where I decided to do engineering. And at the time, NIHE, as it was then, was just starting. Uh, they had a very good program in electronic engineering. And that's where I ended up with, with quite a few of my colleagues from our physics class um, in Art School Reach in Limerick as well. So when you got out into the real world, what kind of engineering work were you doing? Well, I did electronic engineering and I worked for a while with analogue devices. I moved to Germany on a contract for about a year. And then I came back to Limerick and worked with a company called Interpro um, as a design engineer. And in Interpro, we were designing um, automatic test equipment for power supplies. So I was involved in hardware, software, firmware um, and worked there for about seven, eight years. Hmm. It was a small company. It was a startup, a great place for an engineer to start, because I think in a smaller company like that, you're exposed to everything. You're exposed to how sales work, how orders are fulfilled, how manufacturing happens. And I felt that was a really, really good start and foundation for my career in engineering. And that's where I started to get the opportunities for leadership as well. Um, Again, a smaller company, I started being the manager of our software development and ended up being the R&D manager in the company. So I was looking after all of our development. But I suppose at that stage, I knew the business inside out. I'd been there for a good number of years and knew everybody involved. So it was a very interesting and very kind of exciting time. I like the way you say that you went into management and you mentioned leadership because the two are almost completely different things. And it's something I want to delve into uh, a little later. But looking back at your uh, engineering career, what would you say is the one thing that you're most proud of? 
Oh, that's <laughs> that's a hard one. Because I, I moved, my career changed quite a bit. So uh, while I was at Interpro, I was very proud. Um, we developed a new system, a new test system. I was responsible for developing the software and how the software looked and also for de- developing some of the hardware modules on that. And it was definitely very rewarding to see the equipment in use in companies, to see, you know, something that you you were able to step back and say, well, I designed that, you know, and, and it's part of a production form. There are maybe four or five of these things lined up, churning through power supplies, testing them, and you can kind of say, well, well, I did that. That was me. So I think that's one of the things that's great about engineering is that we make things. And, and very often when you make things, you can see the things that you made and you can see them working and people using them. And whether it's something as kind of mundane as as a piece of test equipment or a new bridge or, or you know, a new mobile device or whatever it is. But we make things and we make things that work. And I, I, that's one of the things that I really love about a career in engineering. So one of the things that uh, I do want to chat about a little bit later is management and leadership, because there's a huge difference uh, between them. But can I start by asking you about your own journey, kind of moving from the shop floor, as it were, into management and into leadership then? How does somebody move upwards in a business? What steps should they take? Like, I guess to a certain extent, it's different depending on the business you were in. Like I was in a small company and I was, I was willing to take on the responsibility. I think that's an awful lot of it, that, that you have to be willing to step up. You have to be willing to say, yeah, I can take charge of this project or, or I can manage a few people. And that, that's not for everybody. But I think, you know, if you have a bit of ambition and, and if you like to... I hate to say, if you're a bit of a control freak, like you like to determine the outcome of things. And I think an awful lot of engineers do. Like you don't like things to just happen to you. You like to have some control over what's happening to you and how systems are developed and and how you make decisions. You know, in my case, it was in how we were developing our software. And I actually ended up having some quite strong views about that because of how our system was configured and how I felt it should work and we'd be better to move to something that was more modular. Um, and it's it's by deciding that you want to take ownership, I think, is an awful lot of where you're at, that, that you have to decide, I can do this, I will step up and do it. And to look at the other people around you and think, look, I can do at least as good a job as they can do, so why, why not me? But I, I think maybe two things have to happen. I mean, one is that, that you know, your, your company has to appreciate you and to be willing to promote you. And by and large, people are happy to promote people who, who want to do the work. But I think an awful lot of it has to come internally from you as an engineer, that you're saying, yes, I'm willing to take this step forward. Yes, it's not beyond me to decide. I'm not just going to you know, implement or design what I'm being asked to design, but I actually want to be more involved in making those decisions and directing what's happening and have more control over where our product, our technology or whatever else it is, is going. There is a world of difference in designing something and controlling that thing, as you say, and then controlling people which is the team, but there are similar skills at the same time. So what kind of skills do you think is important for progression in that way? Like I, I think of the two, it's controlling the people and managing the people that number one is actually what's critical to making projects happen and is something that's more difficult. And I think it is something that comes a little bit more with age. You need a bit of experience and a bit of maturity before you can start to manage other people and to bring them along. That, that's my opinion on it. I think you need a lot of empathy when you're working with people. You need a certain amount of kind of single-mindedness and focus, but you also need to be able to bring your people along with you. You need to appreciate 
associate and listen to what people are saying. But you need to have a vision. You need to be able to communicate that vision and you need to be able to convince people that's where they want to be as well. But they are two different skill sets. And, and of the two, I'd say the one that that's take takes a bit longer to develop is the people management and the people management skills. And where do you learn those skills or where do you start learning those skills? You start in kindergarten. You know, I, I often think that how you interact with people starts at the very, very beginning. But uh, kind of when you get into your career and when you start moving forward, I think you just have to observe what's happening around you. Now, there are lots of programs that will help. And I know when I was kind of going through that management phase earlier in my career, I did take part in a leadership program and it was very useful. But an awful lot of the use of being on a program like that is really talking to peers and talking to colleagues and finding what are other people doing and realising that, you know, other people have the same problems as you have had and they have different ways of solving them and different ways of going about things. So I think anywhere in my life when I've gone back for additional learning, the learning itself has been useful, but almost more useful is that peer-to-peer learning. And I think that that still holds true in almost any area of kind of upskilling and reskilling. It's that peer learning can be really, really important. So I think that's a key place where you learn and where you observe and what people are doing. One word I have heard bandied around in relation to this is transversal skills. What, what exactly are transversal skills? They're just a new thing. <laughs> but it's, it's a new name for, for something new that's been there for But no, I think they are a new name for, for things that we always had to do, you know, for, yeah. for things that you gained with experience. But I think they are a very important skill set that we have maybe over the last years started to kind of pigeonhole different people into particular professions and particular skill sets. Mm. But yet when you get out into the workplace, you need to be able to work with people. You need to be able to communicate effectively. You need to be able to manage teams and work in a team. And they're all those kind of what used to be called softer skills and are now more commonly referred to as power skills. But mm. to be honest, you know, way back kind of 10, 15 years ago when I was more involved in engineering programs here at UL and getting programs accredited, there were always those learning outcomes that were about managing teams and being aware of society and being aware of the people around you and making sure that engineers had those skills as well as having the technical skills, which I think is really, really important. Mm. So I, I think transversal skills are are very, very useful. I think they're things that should be part of all of our degrees and all of our undergraduates should get them. I think, to be honest, they're coming to the fore now post-COVID because we've had whatever it is, three, four years where people have been working in very kind of isolated ways. And it's almost like we've got to bring them back together and teach people how to work with each other and work together. So we we often talk about that kind of pie-shaped professional that you need these broad skills along the top and then your areas of expertise. But you need both if you want to be successful. That's another phrase that I've heard is T-shaped professional. Is yeah. that what that, somebody is? is? Somebody broad at yeah. the top? and Yeah, when I'm saying pie, I'm just putting an extra leg on that T because very <laughs> often we need somebody who you know understands IT mm. as well as understanding telecoms or whether it's very close or circuit design or, or even medicine. We're seeing so much more of an, imp- an overlap between an awful lot of these professions that, that in areas of biological sciences, medical sciences, that research is really delving into how technology is informing that, how AI is informing that. So you need more than one expertise very often. When you're thinking about your career and you're kind of thinking, I want to move on and do something else engineering related, what kind of opportunities are there for engineers outside of the direct industry itself? I think 
there are a lot of different careers and career paths that engineers can take. And that, that's one of the things that I really like about an engineering degree and would encourage, you know, parents talking to kids to look at engineering. Because I think sometimes, you know, at the start of it, you think, well, I'm going to be an engineer and that's what I'm going to do. But you actually develop a skill set as an engineer that can apply in an awful lot of different areas. So you would see engineers talk, turning up in sales and marketing, in systems, an awful lot in education, in a lot of different spheres. And I think one of the things that an engineering degree gives you is almost a way of of thinking, a systems way of thinking, because I find that's something that stood to me an awful lot in my career, that I can look at, you know, a problem or a mess, you know, what, whether it's to do with engineering, whether it's to do with how we're structuring a program at work or whether it's to do with another project at work. And I find I can put a structure on it. You know, I can pull the bits of it together that matter. I can say, well, this is how we should do this. This is this is the way we should put this as a project. And I think it's that kind of high level systems thinking that engineers are actually quite good at. That There is a kind of a way that you think that that's very structured and systematized and, and you think, well, we're going to do that and how are we going to measure it and how will we know what resources will we need? So you start to think in a far more kind of structured way. And I think that can apply across the board. And that's why you find engineers very often in management roles in a lot of industries. So they've left behind the engineering and they're working in kind of general management areas. I think what I hear you saying is engineers are problem solvers and, Absolutely. you know, leadership and management is all about solving problems with, with, with teams. We often hear of the importance of leadership in engineering. What is the difference between management? Because lots of people go into management and very few people become leaders. What is the difference between management and leadership? I think one of the key differences is when you get into leadership, you have a vision and, and maybe you have visions about <laughs> several visions, but you have, you know, you, you're able to say, well, this is how I think things should be. And I was actually thinking about this recently. And that's one thing that I found at the later stages of my career, that I'm actually much more willing to step forward and say, well, this is where I think you should actually go with this. And this is how it should look in the future. And I think that sense of having a vision that you want to how of how you want to move things forward is very important but that's useless unless you can bring people with you so i think it's being able to do both of those things, because we can think of, and even within companies, you'll get these people who have crazy mad ideas, but nobody listens to them. And and that can sometimes be a big, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily the best thing. But I think if you can bring people along with you on those towards what that vision is, if you can be inclusive in developing how you think you want things to go forward and actually bring things with you, I think that that's the key with leadership is that you, you can have that vision, but that you can communicate and bring people along with you towards that vision. Then when you are a leader and you have a vision and you're going for this particular goal to improve the world and you've got 50 people behind you and man, I like the way that guy's think I'm going to work with him. All right. So you're a leader. How does that kind of leadership improve the quality of work and experience within a company for the people who are behind you and supporting you? Well, I, I think it gives you, I mean, there's great sense and a, a great satisfaction in being part of a team 
that that is is working towards something and something that's going to improve, whether it's improving how we work, improving how we teach, improving what our product looks like. But that is working towards improvement and to feel that you're listened to, that you're part of that, you know, of, of achieving something um, and that you're con- contributing. And I actually think that, I mean, that is so important for job satisfaction is that people can see that they've contributed to, to, to something that has made an improvement. And I think that's why people will very often follow leaders because they feel that, that it's adding more meaning, it's adding more relevance to what they're doing and they're actually, they're achieving something as opposed to, you know, the same thing as I did yesterday and as I'm going to be doing next week and my manager says I should do it X, Y and Z because that's the way the company does it. And I think that's part of the difference. And it's a much more exciting place to be, you know, when you're when you're trying to create something new or do something new. So this is developing really nicely because a leader is somebody who has vision. He's got people who agree with that vision who are following him, but the leader is also interested in helping the people who are following him develop themselves. So if I'm sitting here and I'm an engineer and I'm kind of thinking, this sounds good. I want to get into management because I've got ideas. I want to change the world in my own way. I mean, how do I start? All I do, you know, I'm just working at a desk as a regular engineer. How do you start the journey towards management and leadership? So you're you're sitting at your your desk, but where are you? You know what what is your company? What are you passionate about? You know, are you are you designing? you know, a, a, a communication system that you think should be done differently and should use a different type of technology. And I think it depends on your context. And I think part of the, kind of the first thing that you need to do is to step up and to make sure that the people who are working with you and particularly the people who are senior to you in the company know that you want to go further know that you want to take on a leadership role and they're aware that you're there. So very often kind of as a junior engineer, you know, there's a tendency to keep my head down, get the work done. That's not going to get you far if you want to get involved in leadership. And you don't have to be the person who's shouting for the trees or anything like that. But you do have to be the person who will make sure that their voice is heard and their opinion is heard. And if you have a good idea, well, articulate it and share it. So I think the first thing is to let people know you're there and to let people know that you do have ambition. And I think very often that's the toughest step for a young engineer because, I mean, very often we're not taught to kind of go forward and to, to share your ideas like that. But I think it's very important that you you make sure people see you and you make sure people realise the potential that you have. Do you think if you're going to then go into the leadership side of things, that you need to be, do you need to be business orientated for that? Do you have to do a business degree on top of everything else? I think that depends. I think in some of the kind of larger technical companies, there would have a route for, for leadership in an engineering side that, that needn't be as involved in business. But to be honest, I think really, so, so if you're in a smaller company, then there is more of a need to have a better idea of where the business is at. But in either case, I think you have to be aware of the implications of the decisions that you're making. So you do have to be aware of the business. And I think as an engineer, again, that would be advice to kind of engineers starting out. Become aware of what your business is. You know, who are your key customers? What are the, you know, how is your product differentiated from other people's products? Because that is important. It is important that you know where the business is going. And I know when I was kind of mid-career, as I said, I I did a, a leadership course, but I went on and did an MBA as well. And that was very, very useful to me at the time that I did it. So I think that, you know, whether it's an MBA or whether it's, you know, even in something in project management or, or um, management in general, um, I think that skill 
skill set that's kind of outside of engineering is very useful for you. But I, I would say to engineers, get your feet under the table. You know, I wouldn't be jumping into something like that when you're two years out of college. Wait until you actually know what way is up and you know where your industry is before you go and get that skill set. Do you think another way of possibly doing this and letting people know that you're interested and progressing, but without being pushy, if you want to put it that way, is to ask questions, as you say, to reach out and and to learn. Is it okay to ask people questions about the business? Absolutely. And, And I think most people will be happy to share with you. So, yeah, inquire and find out what's going on. I think that makes an awful lot of sense because, again, like I said earlier, it's context. I think you have to know where you're operating and where you're working and what are the goals of the companies? What are the key aims of the company? Because you, you need to align yourself with that if you want to be moving up in a leadership or even in a management role in a company. You need to be aware of what their goals are. My mind is just whirring with the amount of things that you're saying that I would have to learn about. And, and I mean, engineering is such a fast-paced industry and there's so many different opportunities for learning. It, it can be a little bit overwhelming for some people. How should engineers approach their continued learning? Well, I mean, I would say you can't do everything. So I think sometimes you have to make choices. Like I can remember back or uh, probably about 20 years ago, I put a lot of time into redesigning one of our programs and we launched the program and it was very successful and I was very happy with it. And I could have decided to pursue that, to stay on with that program, to grow it, to be the course director. But at the same time, there was an opportunity in working with um, continuous education, lifelong learning and driving that. And I, ha- I had to let go of something and decide to do something else, to, to go with the lifelong learning piece because you can't do everything. And I think there are important kind of flexion points in people's career where they have to make decisions like that and decide, well, what's going to be taking me further? What am I really passionate about? Um, and I think when you've, when you've made those decisions, then start looking at what kind of learning and what kind of upskilling you want because it has to be relevant to you. Well, that's my opinion, that when you're moving forward in your career and you've decided where you'd like your career to go, that's when you should be looking at, well, what education, what programs, what courses can help me along the way with that. So listen, tell me about UL. You're currently the director of UL at Work. Can you explain what kind of opportunities UL at Work presents? UL at Work is part of a programme called the Human Capital Initiative that was funded through the National Training Fund. So about four years ago, um, they opened a competitive fund for universities to innovate and innovate in ways that were going to really support the development of skills and work closely with industry, looking at what kind of graduates do we need to produce. And what we did at Limerick is that we focused very much on professional education and postgraduate education. So UL at Work has developed a range of programmes. A lot of them are one-year part time programs called professional diplomas where people can upskill on areas, very diverse areas. So we've got programs in sustainability and communications and PR, programs in in strategic leadership, in data analytics, in um, artificial intelligence. So there's a whole range of programs. But one of the things that we've done with that, which I, I think is a really great opportunity for students is that we've put in place a new master's called Masters of Professional Practice. And what the master's is about is that you can pick any three of those professional diplomas that are going to suit your career and you can put them together to get a master's. So you'll do one of them in one year, you can do the second one and then you can do the third one. And with your third one, you you get your master's. 
And it's it's proving really, really popular. And what it allows students to do is to really customize their learning. So we have, for example, we've we've had a very good program in aviation leasing and finance. And we've got a couple of good aviation programs and students will do those. But they'll say, well, actually, I need a bit of leadership with that as well. Or I need to find out about lean. How do I implement lean in my company? So you'll get very diverse kind of mixes of diplomas and of areas of learning, but they make sense for a person's career. What we have is a structure that kind of scaffolds you through from microcredit to masters where you can pick a microcred that's related to or that's part of one of these professional diplomas. Go ahead, do the professional diploma once you know that it's where you want to be and then build three of these. And it goes back to my comment at the start about these kind of pie-shaped, the T-shaped professionals are now becoming pie-shaped professionals and maybe M-shaped professionals where, where you need a couple of deep dives in a few things. You need a couple of areas that you can say, well, actually, look, I can stand up and talk about that because I know that as well as having the transversal skills. And I think that's what our master's in professional practice does. It allows you to build, you know, up to three different areas that that you know a lot about, that you've advanced to kind of level nine to a master's level in a particular topic, but that you can bring them together kind of with some of these transversal skills. The range of content of things that I can learn sounds amazing from the way you describe it. And the fact that it can help my vision to move up in a career sounds amazing. Uh, and I do want to be a leader that people are following me rather than being a manager with a hammer and paying whack-a-mole <laughs> with employees all day. Um, but the, the one thing that does worry me is the time element. Uh, and it sounds great when you say it's a part-time when you I've got a full-time job. I've got, you know, three kids hanging out. I've got a, a wife who's always cranky at me. Do you know what I mean? What kind of a time commitment is there in here? Um, we've been at this for a long time and people can put in between 15 and 20 hours a week. And more than that isn't going to happen. So we can design any program we say and say there's 30 weeks studying that. It's not going to happen. As you say, for somebody who has children, a career, a wife, sometimes older parents, husband. You know, all of these, yeah. husband, mm -hmm. max you'll be able to put in is, is 15 hours a week, 15 to 20 hours a week. So you might put in an hour or two kind of during the week after work and then maybe one or two longer stints at the weekend. But you've got to get the balance right. And I think, I, I suppose I'm, I'm comfortable talking about that because I, I did my MBA as I was managing things. I had, had my baby in the middle, my first child in the middle of my MBA. So that put a totally different color on the whole thing and trying to finish it off. Um, it is doable, but you have to be focused on it. And I think one of the things that's quite nice about the model that we have is that you, you take it one piece at a time. You know, so it's not saying you're committing to three years or you're committing, you'll commit to, to one year and one year is actually two semesters and two semesters is two 15 week blocks. And, you know, if you break it down like that, you can rationalize it and say, OK, I will have a nice bit off at Christmas. I'll have a short break at Easter. I have my summer off. So I think you have to keep that balance kind of between how you do everything. In the workplace, then, how can managers and leaders that you're working with support you if you want to follow this? journey of continued education? I think one of the key things is, you know, if you are getting on that journey of continued ed education is to get the support of your manager because they need to know that you're doing this program and they need to know that you might need a little bit of slack, that, that you're not going to be working till eight o'clock kind of three evenings a week, but that you'll need to finish up because you have more work to do. But I think 
part of that has to be a conversation with your manager about how this program is actually going to progress you and how it's going to help you. So it's not just that you're getting skills, but your company is getting skills. And the way an awful lot of our programs, and, and again, I, I, you know, I'm talking for what we do at UL, but other universities have, have similar type of programs. But a lot of our programs are very linked to your business and linked to your workplace. So where, you know, I take the Lean program, it's a very good example, that as you're moving through Lean projects, your projects are requiring you to review view your current working situation to look at how you can improve things. And in fact, on our lean program, the thesis that you do at the end has to make a particular contribution to your company. So you only get through with your thesis proposal if you can show how it's going to save your company money or, or time or whatever it is or improve things. And I mean, we've had some fantastic program projects there where people have saved hundreds of thousands for the companies by being involved in a project like this. So I, th- I think the conversation very much has to be I want to do this program. It's going to help me. It's going to help you. This is how I'm going to bring this learning back into the workplace. And programs have to be designed like that. That is almost how you start thinking like a leader, because you're going home and you're saying to your partner, I want to do this extra work because after I will be able to do boom, which will bring benefit to us. Then you're going into your employer and you're saying, I want to do this, blah, blah, blah. And the benefits of the company will be boom. And you're starting to be a leader then because you're sharing a vision that people kind of go, I want to be part of that. That's I love the way you think. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's very true. It's very true yeah. that you're looking at where this is taking me. But it's not just me. It's where, how it's improving the other things around me. Very important. If I'm considering taking on some more education in order to improve myself and to move forward, where do I start? I mean, is there stuff that you're aware of with Engineers Ireland? Is there stuff that I can find on your website with UL? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there is stuff that, that you'd find on, on Engineers Ireland and upskilling, but there, the, the government has actually done really good work over the last number of years. And we, we're very supportive of people who want to go back to education. So our uh, Springboard programme is a fantastic place to start. And the Springboard offers programmes across the range, a whole pile of different areas, and they're pretty much you know, they're very well funded, about 90% funded. And those are all open now. So anybody who wants to go onto the Springboard website will see a whole range of programmes. The other group that works really well with upskilling are our skill nets. And our skill nets are working across all the regions, across all the different areas of technology. And they're also looking at what are the needs of industry? What are the skills that they need? So those would be two very obvious places to go. But also on for, for any of the universities, I mean, now is the time where we're kind of coming to the end of our recruitment cycle for September. So depending on what you want to do or where you want to go, if you go on to our UL website and look for postgraduate education, you'll find a list of different programs that are available there. And, you know, the same, the same in any institution. Anne, you have affected me and I hope you have affected the person listening to the podcast at the moment in that I want to be a leader. I don't want to be a manager. I want to be a leader. <laughs> and I find that everything that you've said has been uh, very inspiring today. So thank you so much for sharing with us on the podcast today. Thank you. If you would like to find out more about Anne and some of the topics that we did speak about today, you'll find notes and link details in the show notes area of your player right now. And of course, you'll find more information and exclusive advanced episodes of our Engineers Ireland Amplified podcast at our website, engineersireland.ie. 
Our podcast today was produced by DustPod.io for Engineers Ireland. If you'd like more episodes, do click the follow button on your podcast player right now to get access to all of our past and future shows automatically. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you for listening.